So, man, I just absolutely love that song that our worship team just played, uh, Run to the Father, right? What a great reminder that the God that, that we serve, the God that we read in the Bible is a God that we have absolute access to. That is not depending on our performance, but, man, we have the constant access to run back to God, to come to God at any point in our lives. What a great reminder of that. Once again, I want to welcome you here to Sweetwater Baptist Church. Uh, it's Friday, so we have youth group, uh, so middle school, high school, some college students sneak in here as well, and it's awesome. So we're just excited uh, to have you here. Uh, we're glad that you're here, that's for sure. Uh, man, if you weren't here last Friday, uh, we started a series called Freedom Starts Today. You can see it out there on the screen, right? Freedom Starts Today. And it's basically all about finding freedom over sin. Understanding that freedom is a very real possibility in your life. And we talked about how freedom is not so much about whether you can do it, but whether you can stop. We even discussed uh, from this quote by Mark Stroud, he said, the free, for true freedom is not in the ability to say yes to anything, but no to that which will hurt you. Right? And we were looking at this different perspective on what freedom really is. Now hear me out. There is a very sad reality that there is a very high chance that there is a lot of people in this room that might be having silent struggles. I'm talking things that not too many people know about, right? Who are battling with even some addictions in your life. Hear me out. If you've reached a point in which you said, man, like, I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't keep doing this, but I just don't know how to stop. I mean, I just need help. If you've reached that point, listen, tonight you could be making steps. Tonight you could be making steps that are going to radically transform your life. You could be making those decisions tonight that will absolutely transform not only your life, but the life of those around you. Because if you didn't know sin, it doesn't only affect you, but it affects those around you, especially the ones that you love. Right? And I'm sure that everybody in this room has been affected in one way or the other by the consequence of the sin of other people. And it always hurts more when it's people that you love. Right? Sin doesn't only affect you, it affects those around you. Hear me out. I said it last Friday, and I'll say it again this Friday. I know there's also a very high chance that the majority of the people here in this room listening to me, they don't wake up today and we're like, you know what, man, I'm going to find freedom from sin. You know what? Hey, today is the day that I'm going to choose to end this addiction that I have with pornography, right? Or today is the day that I'm going to wake up and deal and get help and reach out and deal with, you know, this struggle that I have with anger, and the list goes on. I know the majority of you, there's a high chance that you didn't wake up thinking that. All right, today is the day that this ends. But like I said last Friday, you, everybody in this room, is here tonight. Obviously, right? You're here tonight. And there's an opportunity that is being presented to you to finally get that freedom that you were looking for. And maybe, I know this, there's probably people here who are not really looking for freedom. Why? Because you're just fine the way that you are. You don't see a problem with the things that you've done. And that's okay. Right? I'm glad that you're here, because tonight is actually one of the things that we're going to be discussing. You see, last Friday, I asked you guys to recognize three things. Right? I first asked you to recognize the severity of sin. In other words, why is sin so serious? Why is sin really a big deal? That is the first thing that I asked you to recognize. The second thing is that freedom over sin is found in Jesus. Right? Freedom over sin is found in Jesus. And the last thing that I asked you to recognize is that walking in freedom is a daily commitment, right? 
Walking in freedom is a daily commitment. So here's what we're going to do. For this next couple Fridays, we're going to be getting a little bit more in depth into these three different points. So therefore, tonight, we're going to be discussing, right, A, why is sin severe, right? We're going to be discussing the severity of sin. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it even wrong, right? And that is the three things that we're going to be talking about. Recognize the severity of sin. Recognize the freedom over sin is found in Jesus. And lastly, recognize that walking in freedom is a daily commitment. It's not whether you can do it, but whether you can stop. That's true freedom, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And I'm excited to continue this series along with you guys, right, as we come together here. As I said last Friday, this is not a place in which we simply just say, you're struggling with this, yeah, deal with it, and then come in now. This is a place where we can say, this is literally the place to be able to deal with these things in your life, right? Tonight is going to be interesting. We're going to be looking at a real story about a real historical figure that has real principles for your life and my life, all right? It's a real story. Talks about a real historical figure that lays down very, very real principles for your life and my life. Right? This book right here that I have in my hand is called the Word of God. Right? The Bible. It is God's revelation. Yeah. It is God's revelation, written revelation to mankind. It is God expressing Himself to mankind about who He is. And in this book, I believe that we find the true answer to how to be free, like truly be free in life. I believe it's through this book, and that is what we're going to be looking at tonight. As I said, we're going to be looking about a real story, about a real historical figure that lays down real principles for your life and my life. Here's the thing, that story is about David, King David, considered one of the greatest kings, if not that greatest king, that Israel ever had. He ruled over Israel, he ruled over Judah, right? King David, we hear a lot of things, and we find a very interesting story of the life of David in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a couple verses into this and just get a little bit more of an understanding about this story and about this king, right, who lived in about 1000 B.C., so just a couple years back, right? So, here's what we're going to do. If you have a Bible with you, follow along. If you don't, we're going to have it up on the screen for you guys. And it's going to be great. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. Uh, so just to have that in reference. But as I said, in the book of 2 Samuel, starting in verse, uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And look what the Word of God has to say right here. Verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabat. But David remained at Jerusalem. That's the first thing I want you to notice right there. What, is, what does it say? In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle. Who is David? He's a king. But what does it say at the end of the verse? But David remained at Jerusalem. He didn't go to battle. He stayed home. Right? First thing we notice. Let's continue reading in verse 2. It says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Hold up. Yes, I'm reading from the Bible, all right? And it gets even more intense, all right? Just, just take it easy and walk through this. So what do we have so far? David is supposed to be where? In battle. He's supposed to be fighting with his man, right? That's his responsibility as a king. What does he do? Decides to stay home. Wakes up one day from his couch. He's walking around in his roof for some reason. He was bored. He's supposed to be in battle. He sees this beautiful woman bathing outside. Now keep in mind, we're in the 21st century, that's pretty weird. Take it a couple years back, not that weird. 
right? This is privacy, this is something that's normal, it's a normal custom a couple years back, right? And I hope you understand that it's not just a couple years back, but a very long time ago. But hear me out. Let's continue reading here in verse 3 through 5. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she said and told David, I am pregnant. Whoa. All right? This is just, it went from like zero to a hundred really quick, right? Like David is just, he stays home from war. He walks out inside his house. He sees this woman, and it's like, yep, all right, come lay with me. Turns out she's pregnant. Turns out she is a wife. She has a whole husband. Right? David does not care. This is crazy. I promise you guys, I'm not making it up. It is straight from the Bible. Continuing to verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And, jo and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So what does David do? David tries to cover this up, right? He just, you know, did the thing with this lady. She became pregnant. He's got to figure something out. He's going to be in big trouble. So what does David do? Kind of clever, I'm not going to lie. He says, I'm going to call for her husband. He's at war right now, so nobody, like, it's going to be like, wait, how is she pregnant if he's at war? Right? Makes sense. So David says, if I bring him over here, I'm the king. I can tell him what to do. If I bring him over here, all right, if I could get him to go and spend the night with his wife, People are going to be like, okay, makes sense. You know, she's pregnant. He came home. You know, you know what happened. But here's, here's what we continue reading, right? This is David's plan. So he comes and he asks, hey, you know, how you doing? You know, how's the war going? You know, the war I'm supposed to be in? You guys doing all right in there? Yeah, yeah. I've got a present for you. i got something for you, right? Let's continue reading. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, listen to this, when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? It didn't work. David's plan didn't work. Why? Uriah is a man of integrity. And we're going to continue to see that in just a second. David's plan was for Uriah to come down, to spend the night with his wife. He was going to be covered up. Nobody was going to be like, hmm, how is your pregnant? Well, this is how didn't work out. What did Uriah did? He didn't go to his house. He stayed sleeping outside of the king's palace. And we're going to see why in Uriah's response in the next verse. Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in boots, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Should I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. This is a man of high integrity. I mean, the king himself just set him up. And he said, no. Why? I got people back in the field who are battling, who are dying, who are sleeping in tents. For as long as you live, he said, okay, I will not do this. This takes high integrity. I mean, this man, he's not playing games. He's at war. This man is tired. He came from a long journey. What better than to go and sleep on your own bed, right? I don't know how comfortable it would be back then, but it's his own bed. He's coming home to his wife. It's a man of integrity. That's, hey, 
we gotta ask ourselves, will we do something like this? Man, that, that is intense integrity right there. <laughs> we continue reading. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that next day and the next. And David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his own house. David right now, he's about to lose it. It's like, what does it take for this guy to go home to his wife? Right? I can imagine David is pretty frustrated. Like, nothing is working. Plan A didn't work. Getting him drunk didn't work. Right? David is probably like, yo, this guy, forget it. Right? It's a lost case. So, David moves on to his next plan. And we read this in verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. It went from David staying home to David killing somebody. That, that's pretty much what he's doing. He said, put him at the front. The hardest battle we got, put him at the front. Everybody, let's move back so that he'll be killed and died. And as we read the story, he actually dies. Sounds like a very, very crazy story, and that's because it is, right? It's pretty intense. It gets a little bit crazy in here. There are three main things that I want us to get from tonight in understanding why sin is so severe. And I think we could get it from this passage. The first one is that sin always leads to more sin. Sin always leads to more sin. We see it in David's life. And before you go and say, that, yeah, that's a little extreme, I'm not killing anybody, just look at the principles, right? What is the first thing that we notice? David wasn't where he was supposed to be, right? Springtime, everybody goes out to, to battle in this time because of the weather in Israel. David stayed back. That's the first thing he did right there. He stayed back. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Now listen to this. This is where you get one of those very real principles that I said. A lack of self-discipline in one area will set you up for disobedience in another. Okay? We see this in David's life. A lack of discipline in one area will set you up for disobedience in another. What was David's first lack of discipline? Not going to war. First thing we see. What did that lead? Well, that led to a whole lot of sin. Right? But it started with one lack of discipline. It all started there. And I want you to know that in your life, a lack of discipline in one area, as small as it might seem, is setting you up to walk in failure and disobedience in another. It sets you up for failure and disobedience in another. We gotta understand that sin, it doesn't just show up out of nowhere. It didn't just pop in and it's like, oh, there you go. Right? It happened. Now, and we read this, I believe, in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Look what it says. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What is this telling us? When you are in Christ, sinning is a choice. It doesn't pop out of nowhere. It, didn't just, it says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. You're not going to be tempted to do something that you don't desire, right? Somebody uh, 
David Bowie, he gave a great illustration of this. He said, if I were to offer you a bowl of concrete, you ain't going to find it appealing at all. You're not going to feel tempted to give in to this desire. Why? Because you didn't desire it in the first place. Nobody here, I mean, if you do, if you're interested in like eating concrete, that's a whole other conversation, right? But here's the principle. We are tempted, we are learning to do the things that we, we desire. It's a very simple concept, right? But we've got to have that in mind as we're understanding how to find freedom over sin. Hear me out, ladies and gentlemen. It all starts with small compromises. That's how sin starts. With small little compromises of you saying, eh, it'll be all right. Hey, I got this, don't worry. I'm not going to, yeah, I know what I got to do. I got it. It will be okay if I go like this because, you know, I got this figured out. I know what I'm going to do. Hey, I can stop whenever I want. Can you really do Can you really do Like, a lot of times you say, I can stop whenever I want. Have you ever actually stopped? And I mean, stop. That's true freedom, right? That's true freedom. But hear me out. It all begins with the small compromises. Yeah, I'm going to stop smoking. I'm never going to smoke ever again. But you know, I'm going to hang out with this group of people that I know very well are going to be smoking right now. But you know, I don't want, I don't want, I want to stop. But I'm going to hang out with them, right? And I'm going to put myself there. Here's what happens so many times. I want you guys to use your imagination right now. Imagine there's a train just coming down here, like full force. I don't know how fast they come, but I know it's pretty fast. But imagine right here, they're just coming at full force this way. Here's what we do. Man, I don't want to get hit by this train. I really don't. I don't think nobody does, right? Man, I really don't want to get hit by this train, but you know, I'm gonna just stand right here. Uh, just not because I, I don't want to get hit. I definitely don't want to get hit, but I just want to stand here right now, you know? And then, right? And the train hits you. And what do you say? Oh no. <laughs> Actually, you probably won't be saying anything, right? But hear me out. As, as absurd as that sounds, this is so often what we do in our own lives. We say, I don't want anything to do with that. Man, I've seen my dad do this. I've seen the mistakes that he's made. I don't want to go down that path. And what do we do? We step right in front of this train. Now, what does that mean for you practically? It means that if you're struggling with a certain addiction in your life, right? You got to remove yourself out of that situation. You got to remove the access to it. David was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And I want you to think in your own life. If you truly want to find freedom, if you truly want to see a radical difference in your life, the lives of those around you, then you got to be looking at and really analyzing. Where am I putting myself in a situation to fail? What are those areas in my life that I'm lacking discipline that are setting me up to walk in disobedience later on? Or to walk in failure later on? Where am I lacking that discipline? Where am I standing in the place where I shouldn't be standing on? See, we keep reading and we learn that the small compromises kept leading to more and more and more sin for David's life. How did it all start? Very simple. You stay at home from war. Is that necessarily a sin? No. But it's a lack of discipline. It really is. He was, that was his responsibility as a king. It was a lack of discipline. What did that lead to? Led to him being out, looking at this beautiful woman. Is it wrong that this woman was beautiful? No. Is it wrong that he just happened to see her? No. What is the issue? Where does sin come in? The moment that he said this, and then he said this. Right? That's what made the real difference there. When he stayed looking, what goes on? He goes from just looking to asking about her. Hey, who is this? 
They tell her, oh yeah, this is uh, Bathsheba. She is the wife of your wife. Okay, bring her in. <laughs> it leads to more and more sin. That, as we know, right, it led to him committing adultery. That led to him eventually murdering this man because he is responsible for his death. Now, as extreme as this sounds, and as I said earlier, before you jump into like, yeah, I'm not going to kill anybody. Well, I know, first of all, you're not a king. You can't get away with stuff like this, right? And it's my, my prayer that you don't do anything like this. That is not the takeaway from tonight. But hear me out. So many times in our lives, we make little decisions that we don't value them that much. We say it's not a big deal. It'll be fine. Right? It's not, it's not that important. But man, those are the very same things that keep adding up. They keep adding up. They keep adding up. And that's what leads to your sin. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Sin doesn't just pop up into place. What are those small compromises that you're making in your life that are leading you to walk in disobedience from God? One of the, I've come to know in my own life, sadly, that one of the easiest sins that follows up any sort of sin is lying. Because what is our initial reaction to everything? Cover it up. David did it. If we were honest with ourselves, we try to do it too. Right? We're very good at that. We're very good at covering things up, or at least trying to. And we could do it to other people, but can we really do that to God? The answer is no. But that is what we try to do. We try to cover things up. So after the sin follows the lie, which, ladies and gentlemen, is a sin. And we see the cycle keeps going and keeps going. Why is sin severe? Because it will lead to more sin. Very simple. It will lead to more and more sin in your life. We must stop minimizing sin, saying it's not that bad. You've got to understand and see sin for what it really is. Second point is this. Sin always comes with a cost. It always has a price. And that's what we fail to see a lot of times. That's what we do it. Because we don't see, we don't see anything bad with it. We don't see the cost of it. So if there's no cost to it, there's... Why stop? But let me tell you, sin always comes with a cost. We saw it in David's life. I'm pretty sure David didn't just wake up that day and want to say, you know what? I just feel like killing a man today. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case. It started with the small compromises. It started with the lack of discipline in other areas. One decision led to another. And once again, I'm not saying that you're going to kill somebody. Or if you sin, you're going to end up like David. But sin does have a consequence. Sin does bring a cost into your life. And a lot of times it's not only for you, but those around you, and I'm talking about the ones you love the most. It's time to take sin seriously. Kyle Gray is a camp director at Word of Life. If you've been there, you know him, you've heard him. He said this regarding sin. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, require more than you're willing to pay. I'm going to say it again because I think it's great. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and require more than you're willing to pay. I'm sure David didn't want blood in his hands. I'm sure that wasn't part of his plan. But sin will take you further than you want to go. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you're thinking, yeah, this isn't really for me. This is not, I'm not, I'm not that type of guy. Or, yo, I, I got my stuff under control. But hear me out. One word for that. Deceived. And here's the thing about being deceived. 
You don't know you're being deceived when you are deceived. That's the whole point of it. You don't know you're in a lie when you're in a lie. You think it's the truth. And that's what is so dangerous about it. And I fear there's far too many people who are living in a lie thinking that it's true. That are living thinking that they're free people when they're enslaved to the very same things that are hurting and destroying their life. And we live in this false idea of truth, this false idea of freedom, when true freedom is found in Jesus. When true freedom is found when we're able to walk, right, in obedience to God, not being tied down to anything, not being enslaved to anything. A lie that you're okay. A lie that that will never be you. A lie is not that bad. And my sin yeah, it's not that bad. You're blinded by lies and are led by culture and emotions. Those two little factors right there influence our lives so much. Culture and your emotions. What you see on social media, oh man, that has a bigger impact in our lives than we can ever think. What these rappers are doing, what these athletes are doing, what these YouTubers are doing, they're influencing influencing us so much and sometimes not in the best way. You know, it was another thing with that absolutely just control us? Our emotions. This feels good, must be right. If this feels good, it's for me. This is what I feel like doing in the moment. Ain't nobody getting my way. We need to be men and women who are not just doing what feels good, but are doing what is needed. And have you heard me say that you heard me say this before. Sometimes what you least want to do is what you need the most. Sometimes what you least want to do is what you need the most. Somebody else said this regarding sin. It says, sin will show you the price, but never the price tag. It shows you the bait, but never the hook. If you're familiar with fishing, you understand this. And if you're not, I hope you do. It shows you the price. It shows you, hey, this is how great it's going to be, right? But it doesn't show you the price tag. It doesn't show you what it's going to cost you. In the same way, it shows the bait. Oh, man, look at that. It looks so good, right? But you don't see the hook that is right underneath it. That is what is so deadly about sin. It will always come with a cost. It will always cost you something. Sin has an ultimate cost, and that is eternal death and separation from God if you're not in Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus. See that in Romans 6.23. We've read it. If you've been here, you've definitely heard this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to read the following quotes from John MacArthur. He said this. A person who is not concerned, listen to this very carefully. A person who is not concerned about his present sins cleansed has good reason to count that his past sins has been forgiven. A person who has no desire to come to the Lord for continual cleansing has reason to doubt that he ever came to the Lord to receive salvation. That's big words. A person who has no desire to come to the Lord for continual forgiveness has no reason, has reason, I'm sorry, to doubt that he ever came to the Lord to receive salvation. That's a big statement. But it's a reality. If in your life right now you find yourself with absolutely no desire to find any freedom over this, 
I encourage you, I encourage you highly to reevaluate your life. Because there is a chance that you have not received salvation from the Lord. The person who has absolutely and radically been changed by the Holy Spirit of God, somebody who is burdened by sin, not somebody who is perfect, not somebody who never sins, but is somebody who when he sins, when she sins, breaks their heart. And is continuing seeking after God and saying, God, I sin, I don't want to keep going. The person who doesn't have God doesn't see anything at all wrong with their sin, with continuing the way they're living. That's what makes a big difference. These are big statements, but they're very true statements. Do you have a desire in your heart to become more like Jesus, to become holier in your heart, to be more like God, to do the things of God? And if you do, let me tell you right now, that is proof, that is evidence of the work of God in your heart tonight. And I know struggling with assurance of salvation is a very, very real thing for the Christian. I've gone through that so many times in my life. God, am I truly saved? Look what I just did in my life. How can I have a relationship with you if I just did this? How can I have a place in heaven? How can I be called a child of God as we were singing? Look what I just did. And the struggle of assurance of salvation is a very real thing for the Christian. But can I encourage you with this? The very fact that you're struggling with that, I believe, is evidence that God is working in your life. Matter of fact, that you have the Spirit of God in you. Don't be discouraged by failure when it comes to sin. However, be encouraged when you feel that desire to stop and change. And if you don't, there is good news. We sang that song, Run to the Father. And that is the best advice I can give you. We have full access to God, ladies and gentlemen. And we waste that. You know what that is equivalent to? Everybody here is familiar with the Mona Lisa, right? Everybody knows famous painting worth a couple dollars too, right? Having access to God and not using it is the same, even worse. But hear me out. So you get the idea of getting the Mona Lisa, buying the full price for I don't know how, how expensive it is right now, but more than I can afford. But imagine getting that and using it as a doormat. Uh, yeah, this is pretty good. I'm going to scrub my feet on it, right? You wouldn't use the Mona Lisa as a doormat. Why? Because it has a price. It's valuable. Ladies and gentlemen, having access to God is extremely valuable. And wasting it is way worse than using the Mona Lisa as a doormat. I'll tell you that. And that is what we do. That is what I, I do so many times in my life. But man, we have a God who is gracious. We have a God who is forgiven, and that makes the whole difference. Sin always displeases the Lord. Always. There's not a sin that God's like, all right, I'll let this one slide. This one, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I'm proud of you. You sinned, but it wasn't that bad. No, sin always displeases the Lord. I'm not making it up. This is the same story that we were reading earlier from David. It says, and when the morning was over, David, I mean, this guy just died, right? People started being sad about her, at least the morning was over this period. David sent and brought her to his house, talking about Bathsheba, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God, he made it very clear. He wasn't happy with this. 
He wasn't happy with this at all. God didn't say, yeah, you know, you're the king. You know, I'll give you that. Or, you know, you could have killed ten people. You only killed one. No, no, no. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God is completely opposed to sin. Last Friday, we learned what sin was. Sin is what? Sin is what? A rebellion to a holy God. A direct rebellion, opposition to God. It is a distortion of the good that God created. God can't be near sin. It displeases the Lord. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. What is this saying? God absolutely hates sin. He hates it. There's no way around it. The wrath of God. That's not just like, yeah, God was upset at this. No, God absolutely hates it. The wrath of God is something nobody in this room would ever want to see. Because yes, God is absolutely loving. Yes, God is absolutely gracious. But He is, he is equally wrathful. Why? Because He is holy. What does that mean? He is perfect. It's perfect and He must be just. Absolute justice demands an execution for the sin. Right? It requires a punishment for what is wrong. God is equally wrathful as He is loving, ladies and gentlemen. These things is not a joke. Sin is not a joke before God. He absolutely hates it. And we've got to see sin for what it is. We've got to see sin the way that God sees it. Once again, I'm not calling you here to perfection. But I'm calling you to strive after the one who is. Because that will make all the difference in your life. As young or as old as you might be. Somebody said this. You're either killing your sin or it's killing you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You're either killing your sin or it's killing you without you realizing. Even the smallest of sin is a great offense to God. Little white lie. God hates it. God absolutely hates it. The Christian sees this. The Christian is burdened by this. If you don't think your sin is a big deal, you haven't understood who God is. Simple as that. And I believe it all starts with the proper view and understanding of God. Because your view of God determines your opinion about God. Your opinion about God will determine what you believe about God. And what you believe about God determines just about everything else in your life. So let's get a right view and understanding of who God really is. If there's anything that deserves us really taking our time to know about, is that. God, who really are you? Who really are you? We talk about you all the time. We hear it everywhere. People who hate him and people who love him. God is always in the conversation some way, somehow. Who really are you, God? Have you wrestled with that question? And if you haven't, I challenge you to do so. I want to give you a little advice on how to find the answer to that question. It's in this book. Open it. You have access to it. Open it. Read. Get on your knees and say, God, I want to know who you are. I want to finish with this idea. Your sin 
is no match for God's grace. Hear me out. I know I've just been talking a lot about sin and how bad it is. But your sin is no match for God's grace. What is God's grace? It is unmerited favor. It means He gives you more than what you deserve. It is the equivalent of you committing a horrible crime. You go to court and the judge says, you know what? Don't worry, you're good. I know you just did this horrible crime, but I'm gonna let it slide. I forgive you. Go on, don't do it again. I'll be, right? I'll be crazy. You will be jumping all over the place. But what God does is way more than that, and that's what the word grace means. It's saying, the judge is saying to him, yes, hey, you did this. I forgive you. You won't go to jail. But guess what? I'm gonna give you a private island and five million dollars makes absolutely no sense. That is, God, that is God's grace. And that is just earthly things. What God offers is way greater than that private island and the five million dollars. You know what he offers? He offers eternal life. This life, as great or as bad as it might be for you right now, it will come to an end. And we all here in this room face a reality, and that reality is called eternity. The Bible tells us you spend it in two places, ladies and gentlemen, heaven or hell. One is a place of eternal joy. One is a place of eternal suffering. God, in His immense grace, He allows us to make that decision. But you know when? While we're here, alive. There's going to be a point which is going to be too late. We're reading the Bible. You know what it tells us? Call out to God now while you have time. Your sin is no match for God's grace. What do I mean by that? No matter what you've done, no matter what you did just before coming here, ladies and gentlemen, there is forgiveness. That is God's grace. And I stand here as a man who has received God's grace moment by moment, and that is the only reason that I am able to stand here tonight, because I sin just as much as you do. The Apostle Paul himself, he wrote 13 books in the Bible. You know what he considered himself? Not the Apostle Paul, but the chief of sinners. God's grace. Here's how the Bible defines it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We can't get it up there. But if we confess our sins, you know what it says? He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to cleanse us. What is God requiring of you? Not perfection. What He is requiring of you is saying, man, this is wrong. I did absolutely nothing to earn this life. It was a gift from God. This life belongs to Him. He is the Creator. He is God. I am not. I am merely His creation. And all He expects from you is a life of surrender to Him. Of saying, God, I break my sin before you. I recognize that what I've done is wrong before your eyes. I recognize that this piece is you. And it says, if you confess your sins, what does it say next? He is faithful and just to forgive you of all of all unrighteousness. In other words, this is what we call the gospel. If you ever hear that word used and explained in every different type of way, it's not the true gospel. The true gospel is that Christ died for your sins. What does that mean for you and I today? That there is nothing that you could ever do that will separate you from the love of God. We read that in Romans 8. 
Nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. No, you're not too far gone. You can't just sin too much. So this God, not yet. You've done too much. You crossed the line. The only time it will be too late is when this earth, as we know, it comes to an end. Or your life in this earth comes to an end. Your sin is no match for God's grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Why is it that we're able to have access to God who is holy, who is perfect, if you and I sin on a daily basis? Because God Himself took the form of a human in the person of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for sin. The price for sin will be paid. The sin that you made, it has price. Every single sin. It was either paid at the cross or it will be paid eternally and hell. If you didn't accept it. But it comes with a price. Jesus is offering to pay that for you tonight. He is. I didn't come up with that. He did. It is His plan of salvation, not mine, not anybody else's. It's God's plan of salvation. In Romans 3.24, Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus, when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. I don't think we understand sometimes that we have a penalty to pay for sin. We don't just get to do whatever we want and expect nothing from it. There is a penalty from it. But what did Jesus do? He freed us from the penalty of that. What is, what is required of us? To come before Him. And say, God, I want to do things your way. For far too long I've been doing things my way. I said it in the beginning. Tonight, you can be taking steps to radically changing your life for the rest of your life. I'm not just talking here on earth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking for eternity. And not only your life, man, one day, God willing, you have a spouse. One day, God willing, you have kids and generations to come. The decisions you're making today, they're going to impact them. They are. Do you see it that way? A lot of times we don't. And that's what we always, constantly going back to sin. Why run to sin when we have full access to God? Now hear me out, knowing these things, hearing all of this, doesn't disappear all the temptation when you go back home. Trust me, I, I took some time looking into this and writing it. And the temptation is still there for me. I still got to make a daily commitment to walk in freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you this. There is nothing more joyful that you could ever do in your life than walk in obedience with God. And I can tell you that right now. I've known and I've experienced both. What it is to walk in disobedience to God. And I've had the grace of God being able to experience what it is to walk in obedience to the one who created me. And it doesn't even come close. Walking in obedience to God is so much better. I want to end with a quote from John Bevere. He said this. Real freedom is more than not sinning. It's about, it's about no longer wanting to. It's not about not sinning, but about no longer wanting to. What do I mean by that? I said it earlier. 
We're not asking for perfection. I'm not because I'm not perfect either. What is God asking? For you to allow Him to transform your heart. For you to allow Him to transform your mind. So that your desires are aligned with His desires. So your wants are aligned with what He wants for your life. That's what God is calling us to do. Are you willing to put yourself in a, in a position to be changed by God? A lot of times we're quick to put ourselves in the middle of that train. But are we willing to put ourselves in a position for God to change us? For a lot of us, that is way scary. God wants to change you. You're hearing it tonight. God wants to take a hold of your life and radically change it. God wants you to be an agent of change in your families and your generations to come. He wants that. Are you going to let him change you? Freedom starts today. You can make that choice. As part of this, we're starting 90-day challenge starting October 1st. It's called Wells Freedom Starts Today. We're going to be using this book that lays down daily principles on how we can overcome this. I'm about to wrap it up, and we're going to go into our small groups. There you're going to hear a little bit more about this book and about this opportunity that we're offering to you to finally get the help, to finally find the freedom. And I believe the principles that we find in this book is for everybody in this room because we all here struggle with something. That's the truth. We might not struggle with the same thing, all of us, but we all struggle with something. You have the opportunity right at your hand. You are at no excuse. It's not saying, oh man, like I wish somebody, this is the moment. Like I said, you're here tonight and you can't deny that reality. The show is, is yours. Christ is offering freedom. Are you going to take it? Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you. God, you're so good to us. I thank you so much that in you we can have freedom. God, I pray that you work in our hearts, that you open our eyes to see sin in the way that you see sin, that we can be broken over sin, God, in the same way that you are. God, I pray for all of us here in this room, God. I pray that if you let anybody here tonight to make any sort of decision with their life, not because of anything that I had to say, but because of you and your word and in the way that you are moving in their spirit and their soul, God, I pray that you give them the boldness to take the next steps, to take action, God, to move from just a you know, positive idea to now an actual reality in their lives. God, help them see that freedom is a real, real possibility. God, I pray that we can walk in that freedom daily. And I pray that if there's anybody here who has never experienced this, who's never experienced what it is to have a genuine, real relationship with the God of the universe, God, I pray that they can do that tonight with you, that they can reach out to you and run to you, because you are a gracious and forgiving God. Not even the, it's the fact that we get to pray to you right now and that you hear us, God. It is evidence of how good you are. I thank you for dying for our sins, for taking our place, for becoming a curse for us, God, so that we 
could be blessed. Father, we praise you, we thank you, and we pray this in your powerful name. Amen.